favorite pastime, reading from the encyclopedia. This is, thank you, I got one round, one, one clap. So this is the New International Dictionary of the Christian Church. I guess it's dictionary, not encyclopedia. But it's the best, shortest uh, encapsulation of Willibrord's life that I found in the many reference materials that mention this person none of us had ever heard of before last year. So, Willibrord, born 658, died November 7th, 739 AD, 1,282 years ago today. This is the guy that we decided uh, when we were looking for an opportunity to um, take a rest, go on sabbatical, and, and travel to a number of different places we wanted to visit. Uh, this guy happened to have gone to all of those places. Plus, uh, it was the guy who brought the gospel to uh, the Netherlands, which I had become interested in the religious history of the Netherlands. It just all sort of worked out. So, Willebrord, Anglo-Saxon missionary and, quote, apostle to the Frisians. That's Phrygia, that's uh, the Netherlands. Born in Northumbria, which is between England and Scotland, Willibrord was educated at the Monastery of Ripon near York, headed by Wilfred. They were spot on with the names back then. Uh, in his 20s, he went to Ireland, where he became enthusiastic about becoming a missionary. His mentor, the Anglo-Saxon monk Egbert, who was active in blah, blah, whatever, you can look him up if you want, suggested he go to Phrygia, where Wilfred had briefly preached uh, in 677. And then this is where the geopolitics get involved. Frankish power had just expanded northwards under Pippin of Heristal to include the commercially important southern edge of Phrygia, which at the time included the coastal regions from Schleswig south to Flanders. Like, we all know what we're talking about, right? So in 690, Willibrord and 11 companions sailed across the channel to Frankish Phrygia, were greeted by Pippin, and began missionary work. At 37, Willibrord went to Rome. He was made archbishop of a new Frankish church province to be centered at Utrecht, which is in the Netherlands. And then he established later in his life the famed monastery of Echternach in Luxembourg and supervised a vigorous mission effort, which gained much success in the area under Frankish control. Uh, so much so that even uh, Charles Martel, Charlemagne, visited his, uh, his grave at one point in his travels. So... Um, we picked this guy because I found his life story interesting, the guy who brought the gospel to the Netherlands. The Netherlands, of course, the seat of the Dutch Reformation, the Dutch Reformation, which gave life to churches like ours. I mean, our church is part of this family heritage. So tonight, uh, we're going to share just a couple of stories from this sort of three-month-long trip of following... Oh, there's still pictures going, aren't there? Let's see if we can make the remote work. Press a button someday and um, share some stories and uh, some of our observations and things we learned uh, along the way. But we're going to start with Jenna giving an overview of the whole three months. All right. Do you want me to go stand off to the side and press the button? I might need to. All right. Is this thing on? Okay. I hate public speaking. We all know this, but here we are. I'm going to give you a snapshot of our summer. First of all, though, I need to say thank you gift of time to go and do this. Um, it was a huge blessing for the three of us, and it was just an overwhelming gift. So thank you so much, those of you who had to do extra work um, and had to pitch in. We really appreciated it so much. Okay, Joey, are you ready? Yes. So 
We flew out of Indy and we landed in London and we had to quarantine for five days. And it was difficult and we did a terrible job because we had a one bedroom apartment with no chairs. So we went to Hyde Park and walked around a lot because that seemed safe. So if you wanna change that, this is gonna be really difficult if I have to tell you to change it every time. I'll just change every four seconds and see if you can keep up. Cool. This is our favorite duck from in Hyde Park. It's the Mandarin, and we've seen it lots of times. There's only one of him, and I told Joey it had to be in the slideshow. There is Anna enjoying London. Maybe we could just keep her going. More Hyde Park. And we went to the Westminster Abbey, and some stained glass was beautiful. This is after we were allowed to be out of our Airbnb. We didn't go in any buildings unless we had to, like, to buy a cat, um, until we were cleared by no having corona. Game hard, going. Um, we went then to Oxford, which is something about Willa Broward? No, no C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. This, in Oxford, we like to do this strange boating form called punting, where the boat driver stands and like uses a stick and it's so dangerous. There were lots of wrecks, but it was fun. There we found a cat. And we went to Modeling College where C.S. Lewis did his teaching. More pictures. And then we went to Ripon, which is where What's-His-Face, Willibrord was born <laughs> and I, given to the church. And I was not yeah. clear on if he was like given or if, his, if it was like a Samuel thing or if he was an orphan. I learned a lot on the trip. Yeah. All the Willebroard stuff runs together. Um, there is the Cathedral of St. Willebroard in the distance. Then after that, we went to Pemberley, which is not actually called that, but for the Pride and Prejudice fans in the audience, we went there because it happens to be really, really close to Ripon, where our friend Willebroard was born. And I cried because it was so pretty. Okay, let's keep going. And then we missed the train, so I had to drive a... Um, cargo van on the wrong side of the road on the freeway all the way up to Aberdeen and I was real stressed but it turned out okay we're all here um, the next place that we went on our trip was to the Shetland Islands they have nothing to do with Willebroard we just wanted to go there he was and it half was... Scottish oh okay. he was half Scottish so I mean it's Scotland there you go um, so we had a lovely five days in the Shetland Islands um, we saw some birds on this boat Anna drove it um, and we also saw some sunsets, some more topography. Oh, and puffins. We saw puffins. Um, let's keep going. Um, we, I think Shetland was one of our favorite places just because it was peaceful and it was quiet and it was small and it was awesome. And there were cats. There were a lot of cats. And a Shetland pony. Has anyone watched the ITV show Shetland? Because they were filming it while we were there. Big fan. Um, then we went down to more Scotland. My maiden name is Laird, so we went to the Tipsy Laird, which is someplace my parents had been. They were closed because of COVID, but I still took a picture. Um, carry on, I'm not sure what those pictures are of. Oh, and then we went to Loch Ness, and we looked for, the, for Nessie, and she was not there. We also then rode the Hogwarts Express, also known as the Jacobite Steam Train. It was exciting for only me, I think. But... Um, after this, we were beginning to end our time in England. We went down to Dover before we crossed the English Channel 
um, into Calais, which is the next place. There we went, what was the place called? Graveline? So, Graveline is the Church of St. Willibrord. Yeah. That's where he and the 11 other guys landed when they crossed the yeah. channel, landed in France. Yeah, so there, the church was closed, and it was rainy, and there was nothing to do, and we couldn't really find any place to get food, so it was really kind of a bummer that we went there, but we did. We went there. Carry on. This was our apartment that we got to the next day. We made it to Almira, and we were super happy to be able to wash our clothes and be in the same place for more than 36 hours. We all bought bikes, and then our friends of the bakers came and visited us, and it was great because we were just the three of us for so long, and we needed friends. So <laughs> that was lovely. We went down to Bruges, and we went over to another place that I can't remember the name of, and a castle. We went there. Um, we rode bikes. Anna got great at bike riding. It was not a thing that she was super confident about before, but she was after the Netherlands. Before traveling from the Netherlands to the Faroe Islands, where we met up with Jacob and Becca Hash, we went to Denmark, Denmark, Billund yep. in Denmark, where we went to the Lego place because Anna loves Lego. That's the Lego house, and it was amazing. She did a house building competition at our hotel and won. So she got a free Lego set. It was great. And then we rode on a train while we waited to get to Jacob and Becca in the Faroe Islands. We had a lovely time with them. And we saw so many puffins. So many puffins. They are the best birds in the world. And sea stacks. Sea stacks are great. More Faroe Islands. Can you just maybe keep going? This is a lot. Oh, then we went to Iceland. And Iceland is a country that is bigger than you think it is. Like when you look at it on the map, you think that's only like a couple of hours across. It's not a problem if we don't have a car. It's a problem. So we had a lovely first day. And we went hiking. And it was beautiful. And then... We went to Diamond Beach, and there are glaciers that like break off and they float down. And we had such a nice time, and the water was beautiful. And then we had to hitchhike because we didn't have a car and the bus didn't show up. And it was so far to Reykjavik, and I thought we were going to kill our kid. But then we didn't. Not to be clear, we weren't going to kill her because she did anything wrong. No, 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 yeah, because we didn't have anywhere like for her to go. Accidentally, we were out cold, in the middle of nowhere. And... frostbite. Anyway, she lived, we all lived, and then we got to go see this waterfall with Jacob and Becca, and we're still friends with them, even though we stranded them in Iceland. <sighs> Some more stuff. We went to the active volcano with them. It smells terrible. It's a word in, in Icelandic, and I couldn't tell you. It's like Furdeskirvur. <laughs> Do we know that name? I don't remember. No, I couldn't ever pronounce it. It has a lot of J's it. and Y's in it. Um, Anna here is standing on the two tectonic plates between the something and the other thing. The European plate and the American plate. That. And she looks so cute. Um, here we are. Jo Joey, Anna went back with Jacob and Becca to Poland after we were in Iceland for hash camp. And she and Becca did like crafts and went to cat museums and got into trouble around in Poland while Joey and I went for a little anniversary trip to Geneva. And we looked tired. And then we also saw John Calvin's church. 
Um, and then we went to Salzburg, which is where the Sound of Music is filmed. And I love the Sound of Music. So, um, Joey had to suffer through all of the places. It was great. I, I usually tell people, I went to the oldest operating German language nunnery in Austria. And Jenna's like, it's the one from Sound of Music. It is. Um, gosh, and that's the thing from the movie, which you might recognize if you've seen the movie. If you haven't, I recommend it. Um, this is just an excellent ex um, example of punctuation gone wrong. Um, Vienna. We, Vienna. Yep, we went to Vienna then. After we picked on up from being with Jacob and Becca, we went down to Vienna and took the night train back to the Netherlands where we ended our summer. We had three or so more weeks. Um, we got to take some lovely canal rides, boating around. Those are the dancing houses. Um, it rained a lot and it was, the weather was crazy. Um, what is that? It's Willowbroad's church in Utrecht. Got it. We, I didn't go to that, so that's why I don't know. Um, Joey and Anna took a day trip over to Utrecht and saw this church, which is now Willowbroad's church. And then Joey went in a car down to Echternacht, which is a place where Willowbroad died. Yeah. Um, is. Is the, this is Echternacht. Yeah. yeah. So I think now we have well summarized. See how nice? Oh, then we went to Anne Frank's house back in Amsterdam when Joey got back from the Luxembourg or wherever. And we went to Anne Frank's house. And I think that's the end of it, right? I think so, yes. And yeah, then we came back we made and it home. Play. Okay, can I turn the microphone yes, over to done. someone else, please? Thank you. All right, thank you. <laughs> I was going to say, everybody give it up, but man. Good work, babe. We did not practice that. Yeah. Let's see if I can. So, okay. So I, I wanted to, sh we were going to share a couple of stories and reflections, maybe in a little bit more detail. Um, I'm going to share a couple and maybe one or two. And then Anna's going to come up and talk about one of her memorable experiences. And then we'll do ice cream and waffles for dessert. And then I'll tell one last story to sort of uh, wrap us up. So I've got a couple of different stories here. And... Um, I think the one everybody keeps asking me, asking me about is how did you get stranded in Iceland? So if that's the one you guys want to hear, then we'll go with that. Um, you just saw the pictures, so I'm not going to pull the pictures right back up again. But so here's what we did. We, we took a ferry from Denmark to the Faroe Islands and then from the Faroe Islands to the east side of Iceland. Like Jenna said, it's not that far across on a small map. Um, so we didn't think it would be that big of a deal. We're like, oh yeah, there's plenty of bus, buses and, and all of that. Um, by plenty of buses, I mean there's one every day that uh, does the whole southern side of the country. So uh, no problem. We looked it all up ahead of time. I had reservations for each place. I had the bus schedules in the calendar. We were good to go. So we landed in Sædisfjörður, and then we went to Eglisdatter, and then uh, we... We were spending kind of a rainy night um, stuck in a cabin, in a one-bedroom cabin with the five of us because they were $300 a night, and so one cabin wasn't, you know, that was enough. Um, enough money, I mean. The hashes could share a couch. That was fine with us. Uh, we had a bed. So, 
So the next morning, we were thinking about, we wanted to go to Diamond Beach. You saw the pictures of those giant ice, you know, so there's this, uh, there's a, a glacier and all these pieces of ice are breaking off, landing in a lagoon, floating down towards the ocean, and at high tide, you know, they're a lot closer, tide goes out, and they're just stranded there. It's just incredible, that rich blue ice, and of course, we saw seals and otters and birds and didn't see a whale, but all sorts of cool stuff. And so we knew all this stuff was there, and we're thinking, okay, so we, hop on the, we could hop on the bus right outside of our cabin, you know, walk a mile or whatever, pick up the bus, and take that. And then when it stopped at this place, we could say, in our best Icelandic, uh, which just sounds like American but louder, um, please wait two minutes while we run and take a picture and then get back on the bus. And I'm like, well, that's, we need more time. So we called around to a couple of different places, eventually found a, a taxi service that would pick us up and for only 250 bucks drive us 45 minutes to um, the Yokoslarian Glacier Lagoon, or however you say it. We're like, this is perfect, the bus comes through at 10.30, no problem. We get there, they pick us up at eight, we get there at nine, it's cold, it's rainy, it's drizzly, we're going through the whole thing and really enjoying, um, you know, seeing all the, the wildlife and this ice and, and Jacob and I had a competition to see who could hit uh, ice flows with a rock, you know, as they were going by, we were throwing rocks at it, and it was, it was I felt very grown up, and uh, so it was just a great time, and we're like, okay, the bus is coming in 15 minutes, we should go back, you know, we're living out of backpacks at this point, because it's a, you know, week and a half traveling across countries, so we go back up to this, basically a hut that sells hot dogs and hot chocolate, and that's it, and uh, we get in there, and we're like, all right, we're just gonna wait for the bus, it's coming at 10.30, and 10.15, we're waiting, 10.30, nothing, 10.45, nothing, 11 o'clock, nothing. So we went and asked somebody, and they're like, oh, hold on, let me look it up. So they look it up online. They're like, yeah, it, it comes at 11.30 on Saturdays. So like, oh, okay, well, I misread the internet, not the first time. So let's, uh, we'll, we'll give it a little bit. We got some more hot chocolate, and 11.15, great, 11.30, no bus, 11.45, nothing, noon, nothing. So we decided this time to call, and uh, the bus company said, yeah, we haven't run on Saturdays since COVID. And we thought, you should tell the internet, because <laughs> the internet doesn't know. And uh, we have a five and a half hour bus ride from where we were to our hotel that night. So we started asking around, what do you think, what, to just people that were working there, what should we do? And uh, they said, well, hitchhiking was popular before COVID. I don't know if it's popular now, but you could give it a shot. And we're like, uh, okay, we'll, we'll, give COVID a sh or we'll give COVID a shot. We'll give hitchhiking <laughs> a shot. So we started talking first to people in the parking lot where we were, and, and there were a ton of nice people that were like, yeah, we have room for all of you, but we're going the other direction. I'm like, well, yeah, but my hotel's that way. Um, thanks. And, or people who would say, um, we have room for one of you. And I was like, who do we sacrifice? <laughs> um, right? So that's not going to work. So uh, we ended up, and we, you saw the picture, right, of us out on the side of the road with our thumbs out, like literally hitchhiking in the rain with umbrellas and our backpacks on the side of the road in Iceland. Cars are going by, and they're refusing to make eye contact with us, as one would expect. And after about half an hour of this, uh, Anna looks at Jenna and says, every time someone passes us, I feel like they're not choosing us. And I'm like, oh, my child's going to need therapy. <laughs> like, ugh. It just hurts the sense of like an entire country is rejecting us. Uh, and our only option is to huddle together for warmth after they close this place and try to, you know, catch the bus on Sunday. 
Well, we see a tourist bus come in. It's going the wrong direction, but it pulls into the parking lot, and Jacob runs down there to be like, oh, we'll give it a shot. So Jacob, as you know, grew up in Poland, and Jacob and Becca are missionaries in Poland. So he goes running down there and discovers the bus driver's Polish. So he immediately switches into Polish and starts talking with the guy, uh, Tomak, I think was his name, starts talking with Tomak, and you know, here's the problem, here's what's going on and all of that, and uh, the, Tomak brings the, the director over, the tour guide over, and says, hey, this family, and Jacob's really playing up, like, we have a, a, a young girl with us who's stranded out here, right? Um, you don't want to be the reason she's stranded, and, and so Tomak brings the, I've forgotten his name now, the, uh, the tour guide. I called him Igor in my mind, because he looked Russian and smelled like vodka, but... Um, <laughs> So he, he comes over, and Jacob and, and, and Tomak and Igor, whatever his name was, he was really nice. I, I feel bad calling him Igor, but they, they're like, you know what? We got this. We can give you a ride back to Reykjavik. This was a tour group that had left Reykjavik, Reykjavik the capital, in the morning. They had driven five and a half hours in the rain and fog. They had done nothing that these people had each paid 200 euros to do because it was dreary and cold. They got to the Glacier Lagoon. They all got to pay another 100 euros to get on a boat to putter around in the lagoon where you couldn't see anything. And then they were getting on the bus and everybody was falling asleep to ride five and a half hours back. He's like, we can take you back. So why don't you come sit in the bus? It'll be an hour, hour and a half before we leave, but you can warm up and get comfortable. So we go sit in the back of the bus and uh, after half an hour or so, I mean, we're just, we're telling Jacob, like, you are the best. You're the man, you got this. And he's like, hey, Poland is great at exporting Polish people. They're everywhere. And so um, <laughs> Igor comes to the back of the bus and you, I don't know if you saw him in the picture, but he's got like the manicured beard with the, yeah, and, and he, he kind of leans in and I'm closest to him and he, he leans and he says, tell me what happened. And I said, well, we got a taxi from our cabin this morning. We had to drop us off here at the lagoon. We were going to catch the bus. You know, it's five and a half hours to Reykjavik. Bus was supposed to come at 10.30. didn't come. Supposed to come at 11.30. didn't come. And uh, so now we're stranded here and we're just really thankful that you picked us up. And he goes, okay, okay. So basically you are idiots. He says, we have two rules in Iceland. Rule number one, do not go anywhere without knowing how you will get home. <laughs> Rule number two, we do not leave anyone, especially families, stranded in the dog's butt. <laughs> we thought it was really pretty, but apparently it's Icelandic for a canine's backside. So um, he said, Basically, you're idiots, and we decided he's giving us a free ride, free ride so we weren't going to dispute that. Yes, sir, you're correct, sir. Of course, sir. No problem, sir. Thank you, sir. And uh, everybody got back from the boat tour. They get uh, onto the, the bus. Everybody's like, oh, man, we're so glad we can help you out and all that. Nobody's saying anything like, hey, would you split my bus fare with me or anything like that, which, by the way, it, we had budgeted 500 bucks for the bus fare from this place back to Reykjavik. So it's expensive in Iceland. Um, I found that out after I budgeted for the trip. Anyway, uh, so we start going back, and it had been gray and rainy and dreary, but as soon as we get on the bus and it starts rolling, the, the clouds parted, and the sun came out, and it went like 20 degrees warmer, and he got on the mic in the bus and said, the weather is beautiful. We will stop and do everything on the way back that we hadn't done on the way out. And then he says, to the family in the back, you are welcome to join us. So, yeah, to the idiots in the back, exactly. 
please avail yourself of this free service we provide for you. So we, we got to hike behind a waterfall that um, is on everybody's list. We got to stop at another of the black sand beaches. We got to have dinner with the whole group. Um, we, he said, we're going to do something special. And we hiked into this crevasse where there was another waterfall back in there. Uh, and eventually at the end of this five and a half hour drive with all of these, oh, we got to see volcanic wasteland where there's this moss that grows on it that if you walk on the moss, you kill it. And it takes 300 years for it to grow back. And Justin Bieber walked on it once. And nobody likes him because of that in Iceland, but at least people are now coming to Iceland to see it, but then they think they can walk on it, and basically you all are idiots. You understand how this guy thinks. And uh, so we do all of these things on the way back, and he drops us off about a mile from our hotel in front of the uh, U.S. Embassy with all of our bags, and we say, thanks, and he says, leave us a good review on TripAdvisor. <laughs> and we said, yes, sir, we will do that. And we walk back to our hotel, and uh, we had already decided, when, because it was so cold in the morning, when we got back to the hotel, we would order pizza for ourselves, even though it's 30 or 40 bucks a, uh, for a pizza. Uh, so we ordered two pizzas, and it came, and we were sitting on a bed, and we were, what, were we watching the Olympics or something? I forget what was on. We were watching something, and Jacob and I look at each other, and we're like, you know what? This turned out all right. <laughs> and Jenna goes, that is not the lesson <laughs> to learn from this. So... That's our hitchhiking in Iceland story. <laughs> Thanks for tolerating us. All right. So um, we've got some ice cream coming around for you all. This is vanilla ice cream with stroopwafels in it. Stroopwafels are a Dutch dessert. You eat it warmed up with your coffee or cold on your ice cream. Every time we went down to the farmer's market and bought some on a Saturday morning, we would buy enough that the, uh, the Dutch grandmas there who handmade all the stroopwafels would give me a bag of like the broken pieces and say, it's really good on ice cream. And they are right. So... Uh, enjoy that. I think we'll, we'll take like a two or three minute break and then Anna's going to come up and share one of her stories. Okay, I'm going to invite Anna on up here. Um, Anna was asked earlier what she enjoyed most about the summer and she said exploring with mom and dad, uh, which is what we enjoyed most about the summer too. Uh, one of the places we went was the Anne Frank Museum, the Anne Frank House, and, and part of the tour there was actually going through the secret annex uh, that they lived in for a number of years. And so Anna wrote down um, a little bit about what she wanted to share from that experience. Here you go, miss. Before I went to the Anne Frank house in Amsterdam, my mom and I read Anne Frank's diary so that I would understand what I saw there. When I was there, it made me feel happy and sad at the same time. Let me tell you the story. In the museum, there are a few rooms with quotes from her and her family telling about life when she lived in what was called the Annex. During the war in Germany, the Nazis were trying to find all the Jews to send them to concentration camps. It made me feel sad because her family had to hide in such small places with so many people and not very much food. There were eight people hiding. Five adults, Anne, her bigger sister Margot, and a boy named Peter Van Pels. Anne got in trouble with the grown-ups because she acted like a know-it-all. She was very lonely in the annex, but she was kind of friends with Peter, and they helped each other study. The part I thought that was happy was that how a few people who were working in the store under the annex helped them so much. They gave them places to hide and brought food and supplies. I was also happy to learn that Peter brought his cat to hide with them in the annex. <laughs> Anne became friends with some of the people helping them hide, especially Miep and Bep. 
She also spent some time in the attic with Peter's cat, Mochi. I think the saddest part of the story is when Anne's family got captured and taken to the concentration camp. Anne died there. A happy thing happened, though. Anne's dad survived and kept her diary safe. He published it as a book so that other people could hear their story. After I went to the annex, I asked my dad, why didn't the people who captured them know they were doing a bad thing? My dad said, their feelings have to be trained to know what is right. Those people's feelings were broken, just like people's voices have to practice singing and muscles have to practice running. Feelings also have to be practiced doing the right thing. I learned that training your feelings to do God's way helps us do the right thing. Last, um, not so much a story, but um, some reflections from the, the summer. Of course, it was a huge summer of travel. We were in um, 15 different countries, if you count the United States, and 10 different modes of transportation, if you count walking. Uh, and so we spent a lot of time moving, uh, a lot of time going from, from place to place. And that was intentional. We love exploring. We love going to new places and wandering with no real plan or guide or anything like that, just seeing what we can discover. Uh, so a lot of people have asked us, did you go to this place or that place or that place? We're like, no, I had no idea it was there. We just wandered and, and saw what we could see. Uh, but we were, as I said, we were following the life of Willibrord. He was a Benedictine monk which means his uh, life was dictated by the rhythms and the cycles of the Benedictine monastic order. That doesn't mean he you know, lived out in the desert by himself. He wasn't a hermit. He lived within a, you know, a real robust and bustling community of other men who, uh, in, who lived by Benedict's rule. A rule just means you know, a pattern of life, a way of life. And the rule of Benedict was primarily oriented around how do we live together in a community that encourages one another to grow to be more like Jesus? Which seemed relevant for, you know, thinking about church life and how we live together. Uh, part of what Benedict uh, thought about as he developed his rule, for him, uh, there were two, at least two really big ideas that, that were, um, that you couldn't do without. One was that, Almost every good thing in this world and almost all growth takes time. And the other is that you cannot grow to be more like Jesus by constant, if you are constantly separating from or pulling away from other people. Um, he saw, Benedict saw, other people as uh, the very, like the fuel of our growth in Christ. If we constantly, um, or even maybe not constantly, but consistently throughout our lives, if we believe that life would be easier if only some certain people would go away, uh, Benedict said, that's, you learn and grow most to be like Jesus when you are with those people, when you are staying in the same place. So for Benedict, the hardest spiritual discipline of them all was staying still, which is maybe somewhat ironic to learn on a three-month-long whirlwind travel tour of Europe that the hardest spiritual discipline of them all is simply to stay still. One of his uh, modern or contemporary interpreters put it this way. He said that for Benedict, the height of asceticism 
you know, religious self-denial is not hair shirts and all-night vigils. Uh, it is to stand quietly next to the same person for years on end. He said that's why covenanted life with another person or with a community is so scary because when you remove the opportunity to leave, uh, you are putting yourself into a relationship or a place where you will either grow or be completely broken. And so the hardest spiritual discipline of them all is to make a commitment where you are in one place with the same people for a lifetime. Um, that's what makes marriage scary. That's what makes being part of a church scary. When you see church as the place where we promise to one another uh, the gift of unlimited time to grow together in Christ. This is the way that interpreter put it. The gift of unlimited time to grow together in Jesus is the best gift that we can give to other people. It's a gift that says no matter what you do or what I do, we will both still be here next Sunday. Uh, growing together, where the person who's different from me, who's other than me, like the quote that Jeff shared this morning, that you know, grace is the ability to give room for other people to not be me. Uh, that was central to the, the rule of Benedict, that living together in that community was all about living with other people who are not me, because if everyone's me, I don't grow. And if I'm always, you know, working my relationships so that everyone around me is a, as like me as possible, then we don't grow, and that's not the point of being together. Um, one quote here, if I can find it. Nope, I didn't write it down. Wait, yeah, I did write it down. It's on a different page. Here we go. We are sisters and brothers in the church, not because we naturally and instinctively belong together, agree, or even speak the same language, but because we are summoned to be together in our strangeness to each other and to be faithful to each other in that strangeness, not because we naturally like one another and would be loyal to one another anyway. We're called to be with each other in our strangeness. If that doesn't describe a group like this. <laughs> the biggest gift we can give to one another is the gift of stability. Staying in one place and giving time to each other to grow together in Christ. So, that was reflection number one from this, uh, this long whirlwind moving from place to place to place every week, that the hardest thing to do is simply to stay still. The other is that Benedict and then those who were influenced by the rule of Benedict um, thought about growth, spiritual growth especially, in a very different way than we do, where we tend to employ technique. Benedict said you need to employ time. So think about it. What, what happens when we've been doing, uh, you know, we get up, we, we try, you know, okay, for 30 days I'm going to try getting up. First thing in the morning I'm going to do is pray and read the Bible. And after two weeks we're like, ah, I don't feel anything, right? Nothing feels different. Maybe there's something better I should be doing. Maybe I should be doing it with, maybe I should add journaling. Maybe I should do it with this other thing. Maybe I should make sure that I'm, you know, I'm sitting under the window or I have a cat to pet or whatever. Like we, we try to modify the technique. Benedict would say, hey, why don't you give it 10 years and then tell me what you feel? We apply technique. We're like, there's got to be a better way to solve this problem, fix this thing. Benedict says that there's things that, that only happen when you take time. 
I've got two projects going on in the garage right now. One is a moped that we're stripping down and rebuilding to see if we can get it running again. And the other is a bunch of geodes that Anna got for her birthday that she gets to crack in half. When you're fixing a motorcycle or a moped or any mechanical thing, you know, and it's not running, you try something. And when it doesn't work, then you try another thing. And when it doesn't work, then you try another thing. And when it doesn't work, you try another thing until you get it working. When you're cracking a geode, how many times did we hit it before it cracked? It felt like 100, didn't it? You do the exact same thing 100 times before anything happens. We, I think, often look at our growth in Christ more like we're fixing a, a motorcycle or something like, I'm going to try something, that didn't work, and I'll try something else, that didn't work, I'll try something else. When what we're called to do, or at least what Benedict would say we're called to do, is to hit the rock 100 times. And if it doesn't crack, hit it 100 more. And if it doesn't crack, hit it 100 more. Because there are people around us who've said, look, I hit that rock 1,000 times, and when you see what's inside, I mean, you'll be astounded. But you've got to hit it 1,000 times. You've got to hit it a thousand times. You can't speed it up or try different things or get a bigger hammer or get out the um, angle grinder. Or at least you shouldn't. Right, Anna? Because <laughs> the best things in growing in Christ only happens when you take time with other people. Uh, those, those two things were the biggest, I think, the biggest lessons that we learned um, from our three months away. We already had sort of a family motto. Uh, we've said it, it's better to be deeply known than superficially loved. You know, as a pastor, usually the, the only way to sort of climb the ladder of success is to move from place to place. And we decided five years ago, six years ago, or like that, we'd rather be deeply known than superficially loved at a new place every three or four years. And we've added a second saying after uh, this experience of the summer that stability is greater than opportunity. Stability is greater than opportunity. Um, there are elders at this church who have served faithfully here for 40 or more years. Uh, stability is better than opportunity. To be in one place with the same people, giving the gift of unlimited time to grow together in Christ is better than any career advancement or rung climbing that we could do. So I don't know really how to draw a nice bow on telling that particular story or reflections, but um, from hitchhiking in Iceland to reading about Benedictine monks uh, to walking in the steps uh, of those who have brought the gospel to places that at this point we don't even think about them never having known who Jesus was, to just getting to spend three months uh, together, the three of us. Um, what, what you all gave us was a, a wonderful gift, and uh, we're beyond grateful. So thank you. Thanks. And while you're clapping, I want to make sure you, we, we clap to say thanks to the Rescorlas, the McDonald's, the Carmers who did all of this and made this really fun, uh, as well as to Brittany and her team and to all of you watching on the live stream, thanks for joining us. Um, I have no idea if there's leftover food or ice cream or whatever, but we're going to hang around. So we're done, but you don't have to rush off. Feel free to um, come find us and chat more. Oh, and there's a few picture books floating around, and I think uh, Bob Blonick has a comic book, too, if you want to read it about uh, 
about Willebrords. So um, thanks for coming, everybody.